This episode is sponsored by Mudstack. Mudstack is the only asset management and collaboration platform custom built for game studios and digital artists. So level up your game art and your art game with Mudstack. Are you frustrated with convoluted folder hierarchies and naming conventions that make finding assets a pain? Do you hate using version control software that was built for software engineers instead of you, an artist? Are you also annoyed with late feedback that forces you to throw away hours and hours of work? We all been there. Finally, there's a solution built for you, the artist. Mudstack is the only digital asset management, version control, and review platform custom built for artists and game studios. Get started for free in just a few minutes at mudstack.com. That's M-U-D-S-T-A-C-K.com. Hey guy, here's the deal. This podcast is sponsored by Manscaped. Manscaped is the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world. They offer precision engineered tools for your family jewels. When I was a kid, I thought it was weird and it was embarrassing that I was doing maintenance down there. And in a long time, I felt like I had to hide the fact that things were getting a bit hairy. But now I am glad I live in the world that Manscaped is widely being celebrated as a way for us to, us men, to kind of get ourselves in check, be organized, and be our best self down there. So right now, Manscaped has just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. So imagine shaving with a super sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. I went for a trial run and it was refreshing. And your your spouse and partner can only be jumping with joy, knowing that you are taking care of yourself and in turn, taking care of your partner or spouse. What's cool about the trimmer, it has a 4,000K LED light that you can turn on when in use to help you navigate down that jungle of yours and make sure that you're getting it in all in the right places and crevices. Additional guards so that you can get the perfect length from your trimmer. Some people, like myself, just like a little maintenance, all right, a little off the top. And others, probably Ray, uh, would probably go all the way down to the skin level, which is completely fine. It's whatever your preferences are. So there's different sizes for guard lengths that is available for the lawnmower 4.0. So guys, do yourself a favor, stop trimming with the same trimmer that you use in your face as for your balls. Hygienically, disgusting. Ethically, I get it. <laughs> if it's something that you've been wanting to try, Now's your chance to do it. You can get 20% off plus free shipping by using the code GDU at manscaped.com. Again, it's M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. Get 20% off and be a better you with the code GDU. Your balls will thank you. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham. And with me, I should have asked you this, Matthew, can I, do you go by Matthew or Matt? Uh, Matt's fine. Did I Good say job last on the name last name, right? too. <laughs> I took a chance on that. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, this is part of the podcast where I kind of ask you, our guests, where you're from, where you are right now, and where you're heading. A little intro, basically. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm Matt Kanai. I'm the lead developer at Impact Games on Hanukkah, Honor, and Blade, which uh, we shipped last week after a crazy 14-year journey. I'm also a, a senior technical artist in the game industry, uh, currently at ILMX Lab, but previously at Tripwire Interactive and Hi-Res Studios. Awesome, man. All right, let's 
Might as well start from the beginning. So you said 14-year journey. So uh, I'm guessing this idea, uh, did it, uh, was it breeded from, from solely yourself and then the team slowly grew from there? Like, let me know, you know, from the beginning, what was the intention and what was the, you know, inspiration behind it all? So I'm going to go back before I even started in the industry where the, I feel like the seeds were, were planted. Uh, so when I was 14, which I can't do the math in my head. I'll say it was 2002. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was 14. It was the first year my mother had just gotten diagnosed with breast cancer. That same year, The Last Samurai came out. It's my favorite movie of all time. And uh, after one of her appointments, we stopped at Blockbuster. This is showing my age. <laughs> Blockbuster was a place you could rent games and movies. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a kid, your parents would take you there and you could, it, they had like every game and you could pick it out, take it home and play it for like a week for like 10 bucks or whatever. Um, I rented Shenmue 2 and it completely changed my life. And basically from that point on, I, I knew I wanted to make games and make games that could have that kind of impact on people. Uh, in a positive way, make them grow, make them think about uh, how they, how and why they do things. Um, so uh, four years later, she passed away, uh, during my, the beginning of my second year in college for game development. And that winter break, you know, she's my best friend. I lost the person closest to me and I just started writing. Um, and the idea kind of hit me that I wanted to make a game to pay tribute to her life and memory. And, um, at the same time, I, I was really into martial arts and, uh, like samurai culture, that kind of thing. And kind of strung together this idea of, um, these samurai clans that represent one representing her and the other representing cancer and disease. Um, and basically this whole, I was going to make a game. It's a metaphor for her battle. Um, so I started recruiting classmates. It was basically like our pet project throughout college. It really ended up turning into like our senior project. Um, and then after, after that, um, I had started in the industry and it kind of went on the shelf for a year or two. Um, there was a scene that I had made that was um, for like the Chinese pantheon in Smite. And I had showed a screenshot of it to uh, one of the guys I founded the project with. He's like, dude, can you make Hanago look that good? Like we should, uh, we should pick the game back up uh, and finish it. So uh, we, we basically just like started a new team in, in 2013 and then Unreal 4 came out in 2014. And that's like from there on is what we developed that came out last week. That's kind of a quick quick and dirty uh, history lesson on the game. But really, the through that whole journey, most of uh, our dev team lost a parent to cancer, unfortunately. I hate that that's a coincidence um, for almost everybody that came through the project. But it, it was a way for us to bond and grieve and work through the that loss. And the project really was kind of like a therapy sandbox for us to explore the feelings. And especially for me, I mean, all the environments and every map kind of represents a different part of one side of that struggle. And, you know, there's maps that are, you get to, they represent cancer and facing cancer, getting to destroy it and cleanse it. And others represent, you know, getting to talk to that person one more time. And there's a lot of very deep themes that I kind of instilled in these, these scenes. Oh man. So it's kind of the, the quick and dirty. Well, I appreciate you kind of you and your team sticking uh, through it all. And, you know, artists kind of being an artist myself, you know, we kind of go through our, our, our grief um, the best way we know how, but through expression of what we do and trying to interpret our, our feelings through it. And, and uh it it's it's nuts man like when it's one of the unique stories when you kind of reached out like um we we hear and 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 talk to friends all the time about you know me myself being in in this pit hole uh pitfall of uh creating projects that never finish right and uh to have the the discipline to to see it through and 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 finally shipping it must have been a, a huge triumphant moment for you guys, for everyone, as you guys are managing your 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 own personal career too. Um, I guess what I I ask I uh, want to ask about is like how many uh, different iterations did you guys kind of 
go through if you were to kind of estimate and what were the most major ones you, you kind of mentioned the engine change things like that um looking back were, were those changes uh beneficial or, or overall you guys felt like you, you could have skipped those <laughs> those little updates and stuff yeah uh i mean that's like because we we were like in ut3 as a mod first because udk yeah. wasn't even a thing yet it was still like you have to pay a million dollars for the ue3 license and right. then udk came out we switched to that towards the end of college then ue4 of course um and then ue4 has its version upgrades which are uh, a ton of work. I'd say we've we've lost two years entirely to UE4 upgrades. Oh, wow. Um, though, to be fair, and I, I did the math sometime recently. I'm like, all right, how much man hours did we actually spend on this? And it, it actually, crazily enough, worked out to about like 14 to like 18 weeks of a 100-person studio, uh, their man hours. I was like, Oh, well, I feel a lot better now. Cause like, that's not that much time. I don't know a game that's come out after 14 weeks. Yeah. Um, though it was very slow and methodical and brick by brick. Um, I think the main transition was actually the game got a lot smaller over the years in college. You know, we were like pie to the sky. We were naive. We didn't know any better. So like my original design doc was this 100 page monstrosity of like, we are going to have 12 classes and 20 maps and like 50, like 15 games. It was absurd. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> over the years we had team members that were like, I'm not working on this unless we de-scope and get rid of stuff. Like there's no way our tiny team can do all this. And, uh, I really took everyone's feedback to heart. You know, when you're working on a project where no one's getting paid, like the best thing you can do as a leader is listen to everybody and really, really ask yourself, like, does this make the product better? Um, and that was like my MO for running this project. And one of the things that kept it going for so long, um, we did de-scope and, yeah. uh, that's probably the biggest thing, but the, the biggest transformation really, I think has been in the last year or two. Uh, I feel like the last, 10% of dev time is when like 50% of games get made AAA and indie. Like you, we went through so many like incremental things and then it was like, it clicked to us what we were missing all this time, what we needed to do. Our experience was there. Now we knew our systems. It was all very mature. Yeah. And it was like, the thing we were missing was like messaging. Like you can have a good mechanic, but if you don't message it well, it can make it a bad mechanic. But if you have a, an average mechanic, but great messaging can make it an exceptional mechanic. And that was something that like we just tried to apply everywhere. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the, um, besides the transitional points, like I think a lot of the learning moments, a lot of developers can actually take from your experience from any type of project is, are, are those moments that, the team feels a little demotivated, right? And it always takes one person out of the team to kind of push it and kind of like uh, switching the baton a bit, right? Once in a while, another person might be the one that motivates. Um, is there an average time frame that you feel like every month? And what were the, the pain points that you guys had to uh, get past? Like what were it? Was, was it just no progress for a long time? And then, you know, you, you get a sense of kind of, everything going down a bit and then it took something to kind of boost it back up. Did you recognize some type of pattern throughout the 14 years? Absolutely. Yeah. The, the main one that comes to mind is when we did our Kickstarter and that whole year was like a a complete roller coaster. When was that? And how far in was that? uh, It was in 2015. Okay. So we, we had done steam green light and we got green lit in nine days it, it was nice. it was almost a it was almost a record and we were we were absolutely thrilled like i was i was over the moon i remember i was like at work and i was like in the bathroom or something and got uh-huh. the email from steam and i like ran outside and like ran a victory lap around the office and everyone mm-hmm. people were coming back from lunch and they like knew exactly why mm-hmm. i was doing that <laughs> and uh we decided to go straight into kickstarter and we really should have done it at the same time because we had all these people coming through right. Steam seeing our, our concept, and we, but we didn't capture them in yeah. any way. We didn't like get their emails or funnel them to a Kickstarter. Like we just lost all those people. And um, we did our Kickstarter, and I remember like 
tweeting at Norman Reedus because he was like in Atlanta at the time. That's that's where we're based. Though our team's always been remote. Like I feel like we like perfected remote work like before the pandemic forced everyone else to years ago. But um I remember him tweeting out about the game, but I forgot to put the link to our Kickstarter in it. So like no one did any. It was like 50,000 notifications on Twitter, but no one knew what to do with it. We like had these missed opportunities, but our Kickstarter failed miserably. Like I knew after three days it wasn't going to go through. And um, I took it harder than anybody on the team. I was crushed. I don't think I worked on the game for like four months after. I was just like, man, we didn't even come close. Like we needed these funds to, you know, get some help and hit some of our development goals. And that was, that was really hard for me and a lot harder than I thought. Cause I knew it was failing after three days, but it, it didn't, it just, I don't know. It just didn't sit well. And like half the team quit. They were like, well, nothing's coming out of this. So we're done. And I had to kind of recruit new people and uh, which there's always been turnover on this kind of project. That's kind of how it goes. Usually it's for good reasons, which I'll get into later, but uh, it wasn't until Later that I think our Kickstarter was in March. I don't think I touched the game again until August. And then there's a local game convention in Georgia called Siege. And they do like an investor conference every year. And they had asked us to pitch uh, Hanako. And so um, you'll hear me talk about October 9th, that date. That's the date my mom passed away. And the investor conference was on October 9th. We pitched, we won unanimously. And while it didn't ever lead to anything really, uh, it, it reinvigorated the team. Like everyone got very excited again. We felt like that validated our product, and we we kicked it into high gear. And we got like two classes of like design and animations done. We got like two maps. Like that was the most productive period I think of the whole project until the very end. And that just like by chance bailed us out of the the fog. Yeah, I mean. I think one of the most important part when it comes to any type of development is being able to kind of celebrate the little wins to kind of give that momentum and riding off of that. And um, it's one of those lessons that we heard the hard way, right? When it comes to uh, understanding that. And one of the challenges or one of the biggest challenges as an indie developer is that if you don't go into it kind of understanding what's the the what what it encompasses right not just developing the game but being able to be on top of telling people about it right uh unfortunately there's just not a lot of schooling <laughs> or any type of really real education to to kind of uh, walk us through that to prepare us for that um it, it sounds like you know through reflection you you were able to catch a moment where there was a lot of foot traffic, but unfortunately, Kickstarter wasn't prepared in time. Were you guys able to, to kind of take that and, and use that lesson somewhere else along the way? and or, or not just for marketing, but just being able to catch something, reflect, and be able to apply it uh, the next time around for, for something else? I mean, I think that just kind of put us in the mindset of where we're, there's going to be disappointments in the journey and we don't have to let them crush us as a team. Like we've always, I mean, from day one, we've battled, you know, for, for choosing to do a multiplayer indie game, which I couldn't possibly recommend any less. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it, it, building a, a player base is the most difficult thing I've ever done. Any development related, anything it's so, so difficult. And like, we just had to, like you said, we had to celebrate the tiny victories. Like, you know, we did events every, every Wednesday for the last probably eight years. And we was open to the public, whoever wanted to play, the dev team was there. And that was kind of our way of building the community. The other side of it was I streamed development live, like almost every day. So people could watch the whole game get made. Um, and I did that for two reasons. The first one was, I just like paying it forward and teaching people stuff and passing on advice. And the other one was we got, you know, a lot of gamers, they don't, understand development. So they're very brutal and unfair with developers and their expectations are impossible for a a dev team, especially a tiny one. And it was there to educate people and show them that like, Hey, some stuff is actually very hard and it's been great 
how many people have come through like our discord or messaged me and said, dude, I had no idea. Like this was like weeks of work. I have so much more respect for what you guys do now. And I think like managing that part has been like, it's still an ongoing thing. Like the feedback that we're getting now that we've released, isn't that different from, you know, a couple years ago, though. I feel like the game's night and day from even six months ago. But we've always battled the like great game, no players. Yeah. And that's kind of a day day to day challenge. Right. Well, it's speaking day to day or year to year challenge, right? You you kind of went through this roller coaster of take the last 14 years. The indie scene have changed so much. <laughs> Pretty much every two, three years, there's either a new system. Uh, I guess the introduction of the iPhone was either fresh or 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 just around the corner i don't think it blew up just yet when you guys probably started right um were there moments during this 14 year journey of the technology evolving how the indices evolving uh that that was notable uh while you were creating this game you and your team yeah i think so i think that like the just the entire process of making a game became you know probably fourfold easier than when we started like programs like substance painter like was a game changer for the whole industry it made texturing a whole different level of quality and it and you could do it like i don't know some some amount way faster than before um and we we've always had to like do this leapfrogging thing where it's like hey it's been it's been three years our content hasn't been updated now we have to go back and like update everything so we kind of had to like i spent a lot of the last two years just like retexturing most of the game just because it needed updating and there's stuff there's some stuff that we just couldn't like we can't redo characters they're already like rigged and skinned to the skeleton and the animations are already there like there's some stuff we just had to deal with and live with um but unreal since we upgraded as unreal upgraded we kind of stayed up with things but the trends changed like the genres that were hot changed you know mm-hmm. very like early on when we in probably like the 2013ish era like mobas were huge like i worked on one for 6 years they were huge and we there were little things we kind of were inspired by in that that area like our skill tree and ability system that kind of stuff kind of came out of like a, a moba sphere but then it shifted into like character based shooters uh and like survival shooters like the daisy kind of games and then it now then it's like battle royale is a huge thing which is something we're going to add to our game um as an option and you know it's kind of transitioning again into something else i don't know what that is yet i guess souls games were also huge during that time um so the the john the genre like flavor of the year has changed completely and there's been a lot of we've always had to battle games coming out that are similar you know when we first started it was chivalry one then it was for honor and now it's chivalry two in still for honor and naraka um, there's a lot of, we always get compared to whatever the biggest AAA melee game is. Yeah, I do. I have been noticing like, a, um, the tides changing a bit where, yeah, shooters will always be prevalent, but there's at least, um, some, some flavors being introduced. Melee have been, I think, uh, in the last few years have been on a rise. Like, I feel like, um, a lot of people want more hand-to-hand combat or weaponry type of fighting. I feel the last three, five years to have been more of a focus along that genre uh, when it comes to multiplayers. Um, you know, that the game Sifu comes to mind. That seems to be uh, like an indie game that, 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 that goes through Kung Fu and <laughs> as a master and stuff. Like, I, I feel like this is all positive. Um, variety uh that i feel um have been missing i think uh for a while it was just shooters for like i felt like eight years straight yeah it just felt like there was battlefield cod a titanfall da 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 da. it's just like endless shooters and uh it's kind of refreshing to see a game like yours I, i think it's coming at the right time where people are kind of 
you know, what else, what else can I kill people with? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's refreshing. I, I think, yeah, it's, it's just, you gotta be able to kind of play with different things. Um, you mentioned a bit earlier, and I want to return to that. Uh, every studio kind of goes through this, especially if it's a 14 year development the turnover stuff, right? Original members might be leaving, new members might be coming in. Uh, there's wins here and there that encourages, but you know, if that extends too long without one, then, you know, people get demotivated. It's, it's the biggest, I think it's the biggest challenge out of everything that we talked about uh, when it comes to developing with, a f- with friends or a small team, right? Just, constantly trying to get people not to quit (laughs) like it's the it's the biggest mountain that uh i feel most developers have to uh climb uh so like how what i mean was there a point out of the turnovers where you you felt at a low point of like i don't even know if this is going to make it through like what was that experience and what helped you get through that um there's kind of two things with that. The So there was a point. So we had a, a gameplay programmer that was with us for about five years. And he, he really, really, he worked very hard. Like he worked as hard as I did. He wrote most of the game and he, he got, it was bittersweet because so one of my big things for this project was, you know, I can't go get like senior mid-level industry people to work on this. I have to find people that are really talented, but they might need just a little bit of mentoring to be like job ready. And that's, that was always the sweet spot for us because, you know, I had industry experience and one of my things was um, I can't pay people, but I can help them kickstart their careers and teach them what they need to know working in a pipeline that I feel was built like a triple a pipeline to teach them and get them experience so they could get jobs. And that also softened the people leaving because almost everyone that left left because they got an industry job from the project. And that's like, no matter what happens with the game, that's like something I'm absolutely the most proud of that almost everybody that came through their careers advanced because of it. Um, and I think that a lot of people stuck by it for years, even when, after they did get their industry job out of a kind of a a gratitude for that, like, Hey, this, this project helped me get my career. So I want to see this through. We were really fortunate to just get amazing people. Almost the whole team stuck by the entire project. Um, my co-founders since college, but from like the, this iteration on from 2013 on most of the, the team has been with me the whole time. Um, and I think the other part of that is making sure your team feels valued. They feel heard, you know, in, in the industry, sometimes you're, you're a cog in a wheel. Um, but in, in indie, like everyone, their thoughts should count. Their ideas should count. And honestly, the best things in Hanukkah are because we, we had open feedback sessions and the, the best idea one, it's not, it wasn't about like title or position or whose idea it was. It was like, this is freaking awesome. We're doing this. Some stuff I got so excited about. I, I went and did like that night. Um, and I think that kept everyone fueled up and also like the quality, the, you know, not everyone had a couple ship titles, but I knew that I could produce at a high level and it was kind of a lead by example thing. It's like, I knew if I made a really awesome looking map, it would keep the team excited. Cause like, Whoa, this map's like crazy legit. And it, it just, it worked. I just tried to always over deliver from what everyone expected. This episode is sponsored by Mudstack. For all the artists out there that are working within a game studio, big or small, you're going to need a great collaboration platform custom built for the digital artists. That's where Mudstack comes into play. It's a special version control review platform custom built for individual artists, whereas other source control feels like it's being built for software engineers. Mudstack is geared towards artists so that Collaboration gets even easier, and the only thing you need to concentrate is on your game itself and not the software. So do yourself a favor. Go to the solution built just for you, the artist, 
and get started for free in just a few minutes at mudstack.com. That's M-U-D-S-T-A-C-K.com. Did you know the top 10 mobile games in the U.S. gross more than $340 million in June? Do you want your game to earn more? App Figures is all about giving game makers the tools they need to get more downloads and revenue. You may already know them for analytics and app store optimization. Now, App Figures can help you keep track of competitors and the game market. From how many downloads they're getting and how much money they're making to their audience demographics and even which tools they use to power their games. Their competitor intelligence gives you great context. Got a great idea for an app or a game? With app figures, you can figure out how big the market is and how much money you could be making with it. Say a competitor adds a new feature or was mentioned in the news. With app figures, you can see if that brought in more downloads. And that's just scratching the surface. Whether you're growing your game or building a new one, app figures has what you need to reduce risk and get more downloads. Best of all, you don't need a large budget or data science degree to do this kind of thing anymore. App Figures has made it affordable and simple. On top of tools, App Figures also provides a lot of guides and tutorials to take you step by step through gaining more visibility with ASO and increasing your revenue by learning from your competitors. They just released a free guide on that actually. Head to appfigures.com forward slash on forward slash game dev unchained to try app figures for free again that's app figures a-p-p-f-i-g-u-r-e-s dot com forward slash o-n forward slash game dev unchained to try it for free if you like it use our special code gdu3030 to get 30 percent off for the next three months you were um Mentioning how the uh, <clears throat> the changes kind of help the game kind of find its place. We're, we're talking about your team being remote before remote was cool, right? Uh, the pandemic, I have to ask, I'm assuming that it must have helped development and really push this to the end because now there's no commuting to you guys' main job and that extra time at home and basically forced, <laughs> forced to stay at home. Uh, did that play a factor in kind of speeding up development or did you guys still hit the deadline that you guys intended before the pandemic? Uh, we it, it kind of yes and no. It, it I don't feel like it sped things up a whole lot, but the team was definitely like fresher, like because like we weren't commuting, we could spend more time with our families before like our Hanukkah work night started. Like I, mm-hmm. I did a 10 to two schedule at nights for like the last like five, six years. Jeez. And that was easier. I had way more energy for it than before the pandemic. Um, we had some team members that kind of got like stuck in a, in a location for a period of time. There's a few team members that are like tra- world travel. Just to clarify, you said 10 PM to 2 AM was your regular... <laughs> For that six was, that years, was Han- that was my Hanukkah work day, um, yeah. and my regular job work day was you know nine to six or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and before before that, the first five years or so, I was doing like seven p.m. to four a.m. I was I was crazy in my twenties. Yeah. Uh, and but it took its toll. I, I had some problems come out of doing that that uh, it, I needed to make a shift, or I don't know if I'd still be here, honestly. <laughs> I actually want to kind of dive into that because I'm noticing that sure. myself, right? We're we're in our thirties and I'm noticing a huge difference between my drive. I think my core hour drive is still the same. I still want to succeed, obviously, <clears throat> but that after hour burn, it's just, I just don't find the energy there anymore to, to kind of push through. So I would love to kind of hear more of your, because you did it for 14 years straight, right? Yeah, like a set schedule. So what when was it exactly where you felt like, all right, something's different? Was it when more responsibilities came up outside of game development, right? Or was it just a certain age just hit and you just felt it immediately? What what, what was that shift like? Because I think it happens to everyone quite surprisingly, even though we expect it. But then, you know, when you're young, it, you feel invincible and uh i i it kind of snuck up on me like wow i just don't want to sit here in front of my computer after six anymore it's just not the motivation is completely gone 
Um, I'll get to it later tomorrow morning. <laughs> Would love you to hear you kind of dive deeper into that. Oh, sure. And I, I love this question because I think it's so many indie devs are, are workhorses and they want to they want to churn through their project after work. And it's that's like I wrote a blog recently that's just like here's all of the things I learned from 14 years: the best, the worst, the middle, everything. Um, and the first thing is taking care of your mental health for first and foremost, I don't think any job, any project is worth sacrificing your health by not sleeping to work on it. You can always wait till the next day. If you're not feeling it on a given day, like take a break, don't force it. Um, and I, at that to your the first question, it kind of just like, I think it was an age thing. It just kind of like hit me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I had, I had been really working extra hard at work. I was trying to get a promotion. Uh, the promotion didn't work out. Then I start. I, I was in transition to a new job. At the same time, I think Hanukkah was releasing to early access. Yep. So it was right around our early access release. I was pulling really late nights. Then I got off my ten to two schedule. I was doing probably like like ten to four. I would say, and it got to the point that. If my body was like, hey, Matt, if you stay up past three, I'm giving you a panic attack at 301 every time you stay up past three from now on. That it just happened. And I'd never had a panic attack my entire life until then. Yeah. Like I was very always very calm, managed my stress well, like could reason through it. Like I've done martial arts my whole life. That was just built in, but that was like uncontrollable. And it was every time guaranteed. And that I, that was a wake up call. Cause it was like, I'm just sitting there three o'clock hits and I just, I start feeling my heartbeat start like really controlling my breathing, trying to calm yeah. down. And then in my head, you know, you swirl, you're like, am I having a heart attack? What's happening? How's my left arm feel? Do I have pain? Do I not have pain? Am I okay? You know, you go down that, that, that rat, excuse me, that rabbit hole. Yeah. And, um, that was like really the point where it's like, Hey, 10 to two, I don't care what the, what's going on. 2 AM hits. I'm done that night. And I really had to stick to it. And um, my my girlfriend, that's now my wife, was the biggest like balance proponent. Like, hey, if you need to take a break, take a break. Like, you don't have to stay up that late every day. And I doing the structured time box schedule was more productive than going back to the like seven to four, like the giant, because that was like mostly clicking around for an hour, working a little bit for an hour. It wasn't really like great productive work, but when you knew, Hey, I have 10 to two, this is all I get tonight. It was like super productive, even if I was tired. Um, and that, cause there was like a penalty. They're like, well, I need to maximize this four hour stretch. I need to work smarter and efficient first off that that was a big change but also like it's not a, that's not a super strenuous amount of time and just getting made and at that point you know i was able to get you know at least seven hours of sleep which that's the most important thing you've got to get your seven eight nine hours you, you just rest, have yeah. to especially you're right once you get around it was i think i was like 29 or 30 and it was like nope no more of this matt you've done that enough yeah yeah, I, I noticed that around that time, it was just a huge because I I was always uh, crunching was not never an issue. Burning the midnight oil was nothing new to me. I've always had I got married young. I had family young. So I, I was used to having, you know, after midnight was my time. And that was the only time I had <clears throat> and um, did that for a long time. But yeah, that that that. It was just like the Matrix, man. Just Neo's just like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> it just the will was just not there. And um, I, I look towards athletes. We're talking about martial artists. You know, you look at these old G's, right? They're not about being spunky in their old age. It's about efficiencies, about working smart, but being effective, right? So that, that was a mantra that I was starting to understand and I was starting to appreciate more <clears throat> because if you keep telling yourself you have infinite time and that all you need to do is put more time into it, then you're always going to, you know, put yourself to that. Right. But if you say, Hey, I got four hours. It, I think it kind of kicks you in the butt a bit about being efficient and being effective and not waste that time. Uh, but still have progress basically, which is the most important part. But um, that toll, like you said, right. 
there's a payment there. Um, not just the time given to, to the project, but like in terms of energy level, um, I really do feel like a person's, um, just like an athlete, we're kind of like a, like a, like a candle, right? You know, you can, you can burn it all at once or you can burn it slowly, but that candle at some point, that wick will be gone, right? You don't get a second (laughs) version of that. So I do feel, I, I see friends, colleagues that are, you know, deep into the thirties, still crunching and working like that. And, um, the aging process, it just expedited. <laughs> like maybe twenties, we could have got gotten away with it, but I can see in their face, just their posture, just their their will, basically, um, just slowly wither away a lot at a faster rate in anything past thirties. It, it's dangerous, and and yeah, the mental health portion. I, I really uh, that's why I'm so interested, kind of hearing because it sounds like you've been doing that for a long time, um, through that transition, uh, it's, it's, it's an important conversation that not a lot of developers really sit back and try to understand it themselves. We hear through AAA, we hear it to Indy about all these studios kind of overworking play people. And then you hear stories about how it's wrong and stuff, but like on a personal level, person to person, you don't really hear exactly the experience and what exactly does happen when your body kind of starts, your heartbeat feels like it's slowing down, right? It's, it's kind of scary uh, in our line of work. But, yeah, it really um, is. And I, you know, I just think it, one of the lessons is balance is just so important. Like it's, it, I feel like that's the key to all, all of life, not just development, but just all of life is living a balanced approach to things, you know, go outside, have other hobbies that aren't screen based, you know, go hiking, walk around your, your neighborhood or apartment, just something different on unplugging is, is so refreshing. Like on weekends, the last couple of years, I just didn't work on the project. I didn't touch computers. If I watched TV, it was like football or sports or something. But for the most part, I was doing anything other than touch keyboard. And it, it, it was refreshing and it allows you to recharge your batteries. And, and then by the time, you know, the next work week comes around, you're excited again because you rested. If you're just constantly, if you never step away, you, you never get to recharge to let that excitement regenerate either. Um, and I, I, I see a lot of people that I've worked with over the years, like it's all self-imposed for the most part. You know, of course, there's studios like, you know, there's OT periods and stuff, but so most people do it on purpose and they don't have to, and they shouldn't, it's not a badge of honor. You should take care of yourself. It's you only get one life. And that's something, you know, working on this project for so long, the sacrifices were significant. You know, looking back at it, I see so many like friendships that kind of withered away because I was so focused on the project and it took so much free time. And I, I wonder sometimes how many people I hurt indirectly, like not intending to just chasing the dream and wherever it headed. And, uh, that, that hurts sometimes, but also it's, that that time is done and all I can do is live better moving forward. Yeah. The, one of the lessons I hope that people are learning from the pandemic and don't forget is that um, there's a more emphasis of, you know, being at home, being your family, just being around people. Like I feel like there, a lot of people are discovering what exactly is important uh, besides work and we're hearing it all over the industry. Like a lot of people are, are quitting over than actually going to the office. Uh, jobs are being more, more available and offered as remote. And then, so they're, they're, they're kind of, um, kind of taking, taking advantage of the benefits of what the pandemic brought uh, into this new, new normal world. Right. Um, and, uh, I, fortunately, I mean, it, and unfortunately, it took the pandemic for people to realize that. But um, uh, I think there's a lot of aftermath that we haven't uncovered about the pandemic just yet. I think we're we're still going through the Delta strain. It's not completely over. But I'm interested to see what the next one year to two years is going to be since our industry was so crunch focused for a while. Um, 
And then if people or even a good part of the team isn't in the office anymore, I wonder how that changes the dynamic of what we're kind of used to uh, in, in good or bad ways, right? And um, for indie development too, uh, I, I think it's very common for, for teams such as your team to kind of balance between their their salary job versus doing, you know, indie development for free with, with friends and stuff, right? Uh, I wonder if there's going to be a huge boost in, in even more games, right? Uh, being finished, not just started, but being finished with this kind of new, uh, new balance. Uh, so I guess the question to you is, I, I, what, what exactly do you feel is gonna happen after all this kind of blows over? Like, uh, I'm sure you're, you're involved in a lot of these in the communities, you're, you're seeing a lot of talks of how people are, are tackling these new advantages, right. Of being okay at home all the time, basically no commuting time, right. To kind of work on their game or not. Um, we're, we're seeing exciting things, I think that, that are happening. Um, the, the new systems, unfortunately, I don't think are, are offering anything too new to indie developers, but I feel like Steam is slowly making a comeback since Greenlight. Like they're, I feel like they're starting to work again. Basically, that that Valve, like they're finally doing stuff. Uh, what do you feel like is gonna be on the horizon in the next two years that's gonna help teams such as yourselves to be better at putting out content? I think that's a great question. Got to think of where I want to start with this. So from a, a purely development standpoint, I mean, the tools are better. The Unity and Unreal, the marketplaces are only going to get more mature with better content from more you know, studios. Like there's by the end of the project, there's so much like Unreal 4 marketplace stuff we were able to like use and look at for examples on how to do stuff or just outright implement. Um, that stuff's going to only get better. Um, the UE5 transition is, you know, it's here. There's Epic's genius for making it an upgrade versus an entire engine change. So all your stuff's still compatible. Um, you know, something I wonder about is the saturation of the market. Like, for example, we released at midnight last Wednesday. And within an hour, our game was off the front page, buried behind like dollar anime games, <laughs> just gone meet within an hour of release and i feel like something's got to give there because how can the marketplace and consumers figure out what's good and what's not when you know there for every 100 games in that list maybe two of them are really great but how do you even know that because it's buried right away and really the only way to get out there and get you know premier placement and such is with either big publishing or uh, a big budget, which most indies don't have either of those things. We certainly didn't. Um, you know, we got the Epic grant, uh, which is a really great story, but that even that didn't really move the needle as much as we thought it was going to. I'm getting a little off topic, but I would hope that there would be that. I hope that Steam comes around and does a similar structure to EGS with like they should reduce their t what they're taking. Um, and I, I think there needs to be a little more curation. Like it's just, it, you know, green light was one way for them to do it. And they went the other way to, if you can, if you spend the 500 bucks, you can release a steam game. And all we do is verify that an EXE opens, um, and that your store page follows, you know, simple, reasonable guidelines. Uh, I think that the, the barriers should be a little bit more difficult than that. But also I see the other side too, is if, Hey, if you make a small scope dollar game, like it's, it's within your right to release it. If that's what you're capable of producing and that's what you're happy with. And I'm sure there's tons of people that want to play those, but for when I'm, I'm looking at it from this perspective of, I just spent 14 years on this and games that might've taken a weekend are covering mine up. Like I'm, I'm frustrated. Yeah which is that's a tough i try to see you know all sides of the coin there but 
you know, on the industry side of things to go back to, you know, how do you see things changing in the next you know year or so? I'm actually really glad that people are standing up for themselves not just in the game industry, but like, it seems like all of tech, people are not putting up with nonsense. If there's nonsense, then they leave and get a better job somewhere because now they can work anywhere in the world. Like the pool of employment is so much bigger. And I think that's great for people. It stinks the circumstances that caused it, but the, the outcome in that area of life is, I'm happy to see people get better opportunities that they like where I'm at would never be there if remote wasn't a thing, they wouldn't have come and found me. And, you know, now East coast people can work at West coast places and vice versa. And the talent pool's bigger. You can get, you know, fresh perspectives where, you know, Bay area game industry was a little insulated before, for, for example. And that I think is great. And I think it, it leads to employers having to take a, a hard look at how they're treating people. And it's kind of forcing the, not just games industry, but most of tech to like, Hey, we got to make sure that like we treat people well and they feel uh, valued and that they have opportunities to grow, but also that they can stay home. Cause like even in Atlanta, like traffic here is horrible. And my wife and I have talked about, like, we think the pandemic saved people at least two hours of commuting a day every day, like at minimum. And that's significant. Yeah. I mean, as creatives, I think uh, one of the, worst things about the game industry is that um are, i guess it's like our, our, this is just like our, our our generation's problem as artists is that we get secondhand experience right through google through videos that's how we get our inspiration um where true artists who have something to say i feel uh actually experience the world firsthand right so the more time we spend in the office is to me, it's it's less less opportunity to be an actual artist to express and have something to say within the game, within whatever medium, movies, whatever. Right? I think our generation as a whole have not been able to live life. <laughs> Is what I'm realizing in my 30s because I'm I'm the I'm that workhorse. I I I got married young. I spent my 20s working hard. I got promoted pretty quickly because of it, because I was dedicated to work. But compared to my friends, um, I've gone nowhere. I've done nothing <laughs> but stayed near work. That was my thing, right? And um, I look at that at always is like, it. It's a, it's a disservice for the content that we're putting out. Of course, we're a business. So it's all about selling the content. But uh, you know, at the heart of it, we're, we're artists who are just trying to say something with the, the game or whatever that we're making. Right. And so if we're spending all that time in the office, it's like, what, what do you really got to say here that haven't been said that you have experienced firsthand? Right. So I struggle with that all the time. Um, and, uh, it's just the structure of how things used to be that I'm hoping that will change and we have better things to say. Um, I do want to kind of ask you one last thing because motivation for a long project such as yours uh, can be difficult, right? To kind of push the team through, to kind of reach milestones and, and, and celebrate the little wins. Money helps, right? So, you kind of mentioned the mega grant and we don't have to go too long into it. But uh, if you can kind of recount like the highlights of that, what uh, how long was the process in general? Um, and, uh, how, how big of that boost was in confidence for you and your team to continue and, and finish the game? And when, when did it happen? Uh, like, uh, in, in the cycle. So I can't remember exactly when they launched the make grant program, but whenever that was, I applied like the first day it was open Nice. And then fast forward, maybe three years, four years, I had applied probably seven or eight times by the time we actually got it. Um, it was just, you know, you get a rejection, I don't know, a couple months later. And I just would just every time, a couple times a year, I just reapply and be like, Hey, it's on steam. You can go see the progress and decide for yourself. Um, the, the last application I had made in January, 2020, kind of like right, right before, 
right as the pandemic was kind of starting. Um, and I took a different approach this time and I made it more about the journey of our game and how Epic played into it. Like when UE4 came out, we were like the first game to ever be shown on like Unreal Stream. And they were, we were like one of the first like non AAAs to adopt UE4, like, like ban. It came out. I took a week off of work, taught myself as much UE4 as I could cram. And we just moved the game immediately. I loved it. As soon as, as soon as I was like, this is the best game engine I've ever seen. We're, we're moving to it. Um, they were so supportive over the years. And, um, and I went more into that and how Unreal opened. It was the means for us to achieve our dream and chase our dream. And it was more on the the story of of the game's journey more than the game itself, and because that's important, the game's deeply personal, obviously. Um, and in April, they had written back, "Hey, we need more time with your application," and and I just figured, okay, well, that's kind of that's different. It's not a rejection. I guess we'll see. And then um, I mentioned earlier, October 9th is an important date. Um, fast forward to October 9th, 2020. Um, that's, uh, that was the 13th, uh, year anniversary of my mom's passing. Um, I, I usually go to lunch at a, a place that her and I used to go to and, uh, cause I still live around where I grew up and, um, I just listened to black hole sun, which is our song. I don't know why it's our song, but it was. And this, and I'd gone, my phone was kind of in my car and I went to change the song and I had an email notification from Epic and I, you know, pulled out on my phone and it said, congratulations, you've been awarded a mega grant. And, uh, they had arranged, I guess they dug into the project and found out that date was important and they arranged for it to be awarded on that day. Um, I was at a stoplight and I just, I, I had to turn and I just pulled over and I just cried for like probably 20 minutes. I couldn't, couldn't drive. I couldn't believe they did that. Um, it wasn't a, you know, a game changing amount of money, but it was the first time we actually like had something to work with. Um, you know, we put in our own money here and there, but it was nothing in this ballpark. And it, it blew my mind that they had the awareness to do that for us and to make it significant on a, a special day for our team. And that date's always been, we released on early access on October 9th. We won that investor conference on October 9th. This came out, or we got the mega grant on October 9th. That, that date's always done positive things for us. Um, sometimes by ch- we chose it, other times it chose us. And that's really, it's, it's made me question th- a lot of things in life. Uh, mm-hmm. those coincidences. And, um, I, I still haven't, I've tried to track down who arranged that to thank them and express gratitude, but really they're just excited to do that for us. And, um, you know, we basically put that towards like PR and trying to make sure our launch got as much attention as it could. And, um, unfortunately it hasn't gone great so far, um, which saddens me deeply, but kind of, it's kind of the nature of the beast. Well, that's a beautiful story, man. And, uh, I'm, I'm so, um, glad that you guys finished it. I mean, to me, that's already, <laughs> you're already standing on a pile of <laughs> past indie devs <laughs> that never finished their game. You know, for every co- finished game, there's thousands more in the graveyard that never see the light of day. And, um, you know, seeing the success that you guys saw along the way, as well as, um, you know, finishing what you started 14 years ago and all the lessons learned. That's like the best college education. I think anybody can ask for, uh, for, for the next project, to be honest. Like, I feel like the one thing that I've learned and, you know, being a game developer myself, but also podcasting and talk, talking to talent such as yourself is that um, success is measured through persistence uh, rather than, you know, the the present day, right? And uh, the ones that are able to kind of carry forward, you know, best practices and determination are the ones that I feel always eventually just keep like a stock market, right? Just hit their mark <laughs> because they're like a magnet, right? Uh, they're, they're attracted to that goal and, and thinking about that goal all the time. And, uh, 
it, it's it's a it's it's a process. I think I, I I kind of appreciate more because to me it's more practical. To me, it's always more realistic to kind of see a team finish something, and then it's like, oh, I can't wait to see your second finished project or your third finished project, and then it's just one of those things that eventually you will hit that target that you want to hit. But overall, from what I've seen and what I'm looking at, man, you guys did a bang up job and it looks great. Uh, it, it It's coming at a perfect time. Like I mentioned, I think there's a huge resurgence in hand to hand combat, martial arts, right. Uh, in, in games that I feel have been missing since Honestly, the 90s, <laughs> outside of fighting games, right? I feel like 90s were like the biggest fighting game period. You got the street fighters, you got all these virtual fighters, but also um, there were like single player campaign. I forget that game, but I remember watching my brother play it and it's just first person hand-to-hand combat uh, and you're going through the store. Like, I feel like the 90s was the last time where I saw like so many of those games. And then finally, uh, in recent years, I'm starting to see it like a comeback, sort of like shooting, shooting is getting repetitive, I guess. So, um, this is, I guess, you know, where we're unfortunately hitting the hour mark here. This is a, when I kind of hand the mic over, shut up and let you kind of tell the good people out there to how to find the game. Uh, what's the best place to reach you? Uh, and all that information. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. First off, this has been a, a great time. Uh, you're really well versed in the, the industry and it's, it's always great to talk to someone with a very similar mindset. We have a lot of shared experiences and it was uh, very enjoyable to kind of go over them and learn more about your background as well. Uh, to everyone else watching, uh, you can find our game Hanako Honor and Blade on Steam. Just look it up. Um, to find us, we are very active on our Discord. It's discord.gg slash playhanako. Uh, we host events there every week. We have for the last, I don't know, seven years, and we're going to keep doing it. It's a great way to come kill us if you want to. <laughs> and well, um, yeah. I think that's the... If, if I had one passing word of advice, if you're an indie developer or hopeful... Um, and you end up finding yourself on a long-term project. And something I've learned is sometimes it's more about the journey and the learning than the destination and the results. And we built this brick by brick one day at a time, a baby step one day, a big leap the next day. It was just more about enjoying that minute to minute craftsmanship. And uh, I hope that anyone pursuing something like this can, can learn from these lessons. Man, I, I seriously encourage you to kind of, you, you seem like a writer, a blogger, have you done uh, kind of these studies before? I would love to kind of see like the full study of the game development and, you know, as, as kind of like an exercise, but I think overall it'll help kind of with the marketing, but like, you know, your story alone and all the the ups and downs is so educational for anyone out there, kind of like a uh, a rule book of what to do, what not to do. Uh, 14 years is a long time to kind of stick to something and actually deliver it. And uh, that, that I, I can't get over how, 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 how great that is that you guys were able to kind of see it through all the way to the end and, 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 and put it out on steam, man. That's amazing. So for the good people out there, listeners out there, go out and support my man uh, and uh, go to the links uh, that will be provided in the show notes and everything. As always, uh, jump in the discord and talk to matt yourself but uh that concludes this show's episode uh and see you guys next week Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, 
www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail feature, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody